Joshua Time, the Life Church United podcast. Hello there, and my name is Matt Cairns, and welcome to episode two of the Life Church United podcast, which is Extra Time. Thank you very much for joining us. I hope you are all very well and having a good week so far. This week's guest will be Life Church United defender Ben Fortnum. But before that, just a little bit of news for you. If you remember last week, I was telling you that there would be a managers meeting, which was held last Monday on Zoom. And there wasn't a conclusive decision on where the league is sort of going in terms of finishing. But we did look at some different scenarios should the government allow recreational sport in the coming months to continue. I'll keep you informed and posted if I hear anything else. And next week's guest will actually be league chairman Joe Grayson, who also manages Mosaic. And I'm sure he will be able to give you a little bit more on that in next week's show. Second of all, I just wanted to say thank you very much to the people that have sent lovely messages about the podcast, whether it be a WhatsApp, a text or a phone call. It is appreciated. And to those that want to come on the show, I will try and get that arranged as soon as possible. I'm sure it'll be great to have you on. Now, last week, before you heard Nat, I gave you a bit of a teaser of the week where the answer was Jermaine Defoe. This week's teaser of the week, whilst you listen to Ben or you might just get it straight away, is this. Can you name the two professional English football clubs that share the same ground name? And what is that ground name? That question again. Can you name the two professional English clubs that share the same ground name and who are the two clubs? Anyway, on to this week's guest. This week's guest is a centre-back for Life Church United and he has started all 10 of Life Church United's games so far this season playing at the heart of defence. Extra Time, episode two, welcomes Ben Fortnum. So hi Ben, welcome to Extra Time, the Live Church United podcast. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks very much for coming on to this uh, second episode. For, very excited. Um, I'm sure you've got plenty to talk about. Love the game. What about Man United? They eh? beating Southampton nine uh, nil last night. That's mad. The sending off in the first minute. It didn't realise it was his debut. There's some way to start yeah, your no. uh, first professional game. Absolutely, just literally, what was it, about two minutes in, was it? Barely that? I think it was less. I thought it was just the first minute, down to nine men yeah, in the so, end. Well, that's it. When you look at the fact that Southampton have lost, what, two games 9-0 in the last 16 months, and they've both started with red cards as well inside the first 10 minutes. But I suppose in Hassan Hootel's defence, he's picked a team up before from losing 9-0. So if anyone knows how to pick a team up after losing 9-0, it's going to be him. But I did feel a little bit sorry for them at the end because I felt like, the uh, penalty, I think that was the seventh goal, wasn't it? I felt like that was a little bit harsh. And then they they sent off um, the Bedlamat that got sent off. He had a horrendous night, obviously, scoring the scoring the own goal as well. Um, so, and obviously, the last five minutes, they have to play with nine men. So, yeah, fair play, though, to Manchester United. One week, you can't beat Sheffield United. And then a week later, you put nine past <laughs> Southampton. Bruno Fernandes helping it back in. 
So how have you been keeping busy during the lockdown? Being fortunate enough that um, working at a supermarket, I count as a key worker. So I've just been cracking on. Not much has really changed for me, apart from not playing football and going to the pub. Okay, that's that's good. Yeah, it is a lot easier if you're working, isn't it? Because it just sort of passes the days a lot. I, I do feel for people that obviously have to just sit there at home and probably sit through, obviously having to do a lot of homeschooling and things like that. So, yeah, I suppose work makes this lockdown a lot easier. So, uh, obviously, Coventry City. Shall we start there, shall we, Ben? You're a big Coventry City supporter. Smashing it at the minute. Just so long as we're staying in the championship, I am happy. Poor result of the weekend, 2-1 loss. But as long as we stay above the relegation zone, I think we've had a great season. Yeah, well, you've just taken one of my questions because I was going to say, what are your expectations (laughs) for the rest of the season? So that one's out the window. But no, I think exactly the same. I remember saying on last week's podcast, Coventry, I think their first season back in the Championship, if they they stay in there, that would be an achievement. And I think from what I'm hearing, when I hear anything negative about the club, I think some fans need to remember that actually it's the same sort of players that are around even in when they're in league two so when you put that in perspective they've not come up and spent you know wads load of cash like uh, some other big clubs can in the championship they're they're actually doing very well albeit obviously they lost to uh, Nottingham Forest like you said last night a bit of a disappointing own goal but Ben did just admit to me before we went on air but when Coventry lose he doesn't like to see the goal so I can say that I saw that own goal and it was absolutely shocking Ben so is, is that a true tradition if Coventry lose you don't watch the highlights um, I will eventually watch them. I just struggle to watch them straight away. It's too emotional because I know we're going to lose. <laughs> so it's just like, what's, what's the point? It's going to make me It's going to make me annoyed and think, you know, we could have avoided that goal and we could have avoided that. Let's go. Let's talk a little bit about Life Church United. So in the introduction, I've actually said that you have played. Well, sorry, no, I'll rephrase that. You have started all 10 of Life Church United's games so far this season. Now. If anyone wants to correct me out there, then that's absolutely fine. But the only other player that I can possibly think that has matched that would maybe be Joe Cowley. But I think other than that, you might be the only player that started all 10 games. So I think uh, that'll be seven league games, three pre-season games, and you've started all 10 of them. It's not bad, is it? I'll take that. Does it show either that I'm really good or that I just don't have anything else to do on a weekend? (laughs) Yeah, and there has been there has been a bit of competition in defence. So I know you've done done well to uh, be ever present. I do uh, one of the funniest stories I do remember though, Ben, is when um, I can't remember who it was against. I want to say it was against Queens Road, where you racked up a little bit late, and then we walked onto the pitch, and there's a big piece of dog poo on the pitch, which wasn't the ideal start. And I went up to the ref and went, "Are you going to remove that?" And he said, "Not my responsibility. Uh, can one of your players do it?" So the immediate reaction from everyone was like, that is Ben's forfeit for racking up late to remove the dog poo. Do you remember that? Oh, fondly, Matt. That was a lovely experience. That was, I definitely got some of my hands and uh, I think it just made me play better. <laughs> kept, kept the opposition forwards well away from <laughs> yeah, Exactly. In my defence, we get to games a lot earlier than I am used to. Half an hour before kickoff, I feel it normal. We get there an hour sometimes. Well, good prep, good prep for the game, Ben. It's all true, good, mate. True. All good. So, how do you think it's going? Obviously, um, we've only played seven league games this season. How do you think it's gone, both for the team and for you personally this season? Um, 
I think you've always got to remember, and sometimes I catch myself not doing this, that it's our first season playing together because we have moments where we just play fantastic football and then five minutes later, it's just out the window and we're just hoofing it up again. So I think it's just that we still got to get used to each other and kind of develop that style that we want to play because it's clearly there and clearly can be played. It's just about kind of getting that consistency, feeling confident in it. And like Nat said last week, annoyingly, the kind of first lockdown came at the end of a good run of results and playing some really nice yeah. football. Yeah, absolutely. I, that was one very frustrating thing. I remember actually uh, I did speak to Jonah. Um, I think it was against, we just lost to um, Herc Saints in a league game, I think 3-0. And it was the game where we, we uh, I think all three goals were sadly from set pieces. Um, we both looked at the fixtures and saw that the next two games were um, home to Queen's Road and at home, um, sorry, away to Christ the King. And we both said, you know, we won't say this too publicly to the boys, but we want six points from these games because it, it just felt like we needed a bit of a an uplift. And that's not to disrespect those two two sides. I thought Queen's Road actually gave us a, a, a really good game. And, and to be fair to Christ the King, they didn't actually do too much wrong in that game. We just scored, uh, like I said last week, a lot of really good goals in that game. Was it five and a half time? I think all five were just absolute worldies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it was literally like a goal of the season competition in that first half. So how do you think it's gone sort of for you personally? Do you enjoy playing centre-back? Centre-back's probably my, my best position, my most natural position. And when we play nice football and I get to see a bit of the ball and make some nice passes, then uh, certainly do enjoy it, yeah. Sometimes though, when you're a bit back against the wall, it's a bit frustrating, especially not getting a clean sheet. Sure. Yet. Yeah, if uh, if we if we do get a clean sheet, I'll do a Claudia and Yeri and buy everyone a pizza. Fought in the game when we played Christ the King, we were gonna we we're gonna keep one. And then Good. I think was it against Queens Road where a certain someone scored an own goal? I think in that game, uh, we won't I, mention I any think. names. Ryan Latworth. He just seemed to lose his concentration, and there you are. That's the price, an own goal. Thinking the. Um... Christ, the King game, there was no way he was on side for that goal. Yeah, definitely. The thing that um, sticks out when I think of how you've played this season, though, Ben, was actually in the game against uh, Loafers, and we were 3-0 down in the friendly. We'd already lost the first friendly 3-0. We felt a bit hard done to. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you sort of ran about 60 to 70 yards out of defence, a bit like a Harry Maguire... Uh, or a Virgil van Dyke, or even recently, as a Leicester fan, I may say, Wesley Fafada just burst down the pitch with a bit of speed. I think eventually I would have thrown a free kick, and all of a sudden it just gave the team a bit of a lift, and we actually scored twice in about 10 minutes because it just we felt a bit flat at that point. And I was just like, wow, where did that come from? I quite like to just run with the ball out from defence. I think it's, um, as a when I was younger, I, was always, I always thought I was a centre mid. So I think it's just streaks of that coming out in my uh, in my game. Yeah, certainly uh, I started to think, oh, there's a bit of, there's a bit of Maguire in him here. Another thing I want to talk to you about as well is, for anyone that doesn't know Ben, Ben will turn up in football training, literally. And I can't remember him wearing the same kit. He must have a wardrobe of many football kits. I remember you wearing a Portsmouth kit. I want to say Borussia Mönchengladbach um, and quite a few other random teams. How many football kits do you reckon you actually own? 
Uh, so I've got not a wardrobe full. I've got a box full, actually, of all my old kits that I've kept because <laughs> I don't like to give them away. So I've probably easily got about 50 kits, 10 of which are in wow. like rotation to be worn now. That is a lot, though. And what what about the random the random kits? So obviously, why why would you buy a Portsmouth shirt? Is it just you like the shirt or is it just you think something different? So I like to buy shirts of places that I've been. So the Portsmouth shirt is because I went to university okay. in Portsmouth. So the Bremen shirt, because that's where my girlfriend's German family are based. So whenever we go and visit them, Bremen's their ah. local team. So that's why the kind of the random shirts come from. So if I go on holiday somewhere, it's the kind of souvenir that I like to pick up is the shirt. Okay. What would you say is the most randomest one you actually own? Uh, probably the most disgusting one, which is the Loja, which is that third division Spanish side, because on the shirt is the one with the raw prawns on the front and the back. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that one. <laughs> I do remember you coming to training in that one. Yeah. So, or having said that, um, I did one of those, you know, the mystery shirt things where you pay £20 and just a random shirt, they'll send it to you and tell you a bit about it. So from that, I got the 2018 Ethiopia top and that's really cool. <laughs> oh, wow. Look forward to uh, seeing that one in training, maybe uh, maybe in the future, Ben. I remember, um, I remember the Portsmouth one being quite a nice one, actually, that you wore. Yeah, it's a very nice grey one. They do some nice kits, Portsmouth, but they're just um, fall a bit short because they are lower league and done by Nike. So they're not very imaginative Nike. It's kind of quite obvious they give a team kind of, you know, three templates with their club colours on and just say, pick one of them. Yeah, sure. It's not actually really like, you know, Nike have gone out of the way to think, oh, let's make Portsmouth a, special a really Portsmouth nice top. kit. Yeah, I did think that a few a few years ago. I remember seeing a Hartlepool United shirt with the Nike logo on. I'm thinking, surely Nike don't actually make that Hartlepool shirt. But yeah, you've just uh, explained that really well. One of the new things that we're looking to introduce on Extra Time on this podcast is actually called the Football Taste Test. Tasty. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask Ben some real quick fire questions and he's got to give some quick answers. And what I'll do as well is I'll come back to your answers and we can just talk them through. But if you just go on a bit of instinct, so Ben has no idea what I'm going to ask him here. Um, so here we go. Let's see how he gets on in the football taste test. So the first one, Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Okay. Wembley or the New Camp? Wembley. 1966 England or 1987 Coventry City? Oh, 87 City. Okay. A Life Church United home game or away game? Away, but depending who we're playing. Okay. And the last one, blades or studs? Studs. So you said for the first one, you said Messi. Any particular reason why? Messi is just the best ever player. Don't get me wrong. Ronaldo is phenomenal. Goal scoring machine. Yeah. But Messi is just the things he can do with the ball are just unbelievable. Yeah, sure. I've got to say, I am sort of team Messi as well. I think the most neutral answer I can give where I sit on the fence is that we are very blessed to live in a time where we've got two such phenomenal players that have actually played the game. And they played in the same sort of era. It's quite incredible. But I think for me, the thing I used to prefer Messi over Ronaldo was just his general attitude to try and stay on his feet more than Ronaldo. And I know that sounds like, you know, that's not a massive talent as such. I feel like he had better skill in terms of being able to 
put an eye through a needle with a pass. I think, obviously, with Ronaldo, you, you think more about his, he's got great aerial ability. But saying that, I'm sure it was Messi that actually scored a header in a Champions League final. Uh, I, think it, I think it was about 2011 Champions League final. But for me, yeah, Messi would nick it. And I'm sure right now there's loads of ex-Man United fans and people that generally love Ronaldo probably going to be, you know, debating oh, this one. But ben Emery is yeah, already definitely crying. Messi for me. <laughs> and um, sorry, Wembley or the Camp Nou? Did you say Camp Nou on that one? Wembley. Ah, oh, Wembley. Good answer, yeah. To be fair, have you ever been to the Camp Nou? No, so I think that's why I chose Wembley. I've been to Wembley maybe three or four yeah. times. Yes, me too. I've been to a few England games there and it's sort of like the atmosphere hasn't been amazing, but you can it's just that sense of occasion when you walk down Wembley Way yeah. and all the fans and you know all the flags and walking down there, it's quite a special occasion. I see I've been to both England and club games and the atmosphere is just completely different. Like you say, the England games it's kind of lacking a little bit. Bit more of a day out for some people. I know when I went it was a bit more of a day out than when I went to go and see Cov play there where it's proper exciting. Yeah, I could I can definitely imagine that a club game probably would have a bit more of an edge to it as well. Um, but yeah, I think I've only actually seen England play at Wembley. I'm hoping that Leicester get there one day and I can go and actually see them win. 66 or 87, no hesitation now with that one. So obviously Coventry winning the 1987 FA Cup. I think it has to be 87. Well, to be fair, it was one of the best FA Cup finals. Even as a neutral, I've got to say, I've watched many FA Cup finals, especially... In the 90s, there weren't many good ones. And that one, I, I can honestly say I have actually watched the whole of that game because one Christmas, I didn't know what to get my friends and they released the DVD of the whole game. I bought just a one of them and just handed them out to my co-friends. And then one of them was like, well, you have to come and watch it and ended up watching it. And it, I've got to say it was one of the best uh, FA Cup finals in, in recent times. Well, during lockdown, the um, FA Cup Twitter uh, kind of ran a competition which was like what is the best FA Cup final goal and the Houchin diving header won it in the end that was uh, to be fair that was a brilliant diving header wasn't it Lightchurch home game or away game you said it depends where who it is we're playing that's only purely because um, I was thinking of the Coventrians pitch and that was just such a nice pitch to get to play on. So long as the away yeah. pitch is really nice, then that wins. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, I, I'm, I'm surprised if some people don't say home games because when it comes to the away games, I like to get that there that little bit earlier because the surroundings aren't quite as, you know, as usual as we'd be used to. So I like everyone to just get a bit of a, feel for the place and you know we're not just racking up sort of like 20 minutes half an hour before whereas at home I don't mind that as much because everyone sort of knows the pitch knows where we're playing Slate or studs studs so you went studs oh definitely for me as well I suppose it all depends sometimes on the weather doesn't it but even with the blades you, you can sort of wear the soft ground but I still think the studs win it for me I saw a really funny video the other day I don't know if anyone else saw this it was on um, it was on YouTube and it was basically this football team tricking a referee. So he was checking all their studs, but he wasn't lifting his head. They were having their studs checked. And then he just goes to the back of the line 
So he must have checked the same player's studs about three times and he finally lifted his head to realise that they were just going to the back of the line of the queue. Hang on a minute. I'm sure I've seen these studs before. Another question I was going to ask you, um, I remember I asked you this before, before we came on air, was who is the greatest player that you've seen live? So not necessarily in terms of on the telly, but actually watching them at a ground. So I've probably got two answers for this. So probably the best technical player. Um, I was fortunate enough a couple of years ago to go and watch an Arsenal legends against AC Milan legends game. So that had the likes of Dennis Bergkamp yeah. playing for Arsenal against um, Maldini for AC Milan. Similar to what, who you said before we started recording as well. Dennis Bergkamp just makes playing football look effortless. Plucking out of the sky, casually playing a 40-yard pass. It's just unbelievable. And then my other answer, maybe not as technically gifted Dennis Bergkamp, would probably be Michael Doyle, old Coventry player. But that's just because he just knew how to manage a game, always in the ref's ear, always winding up the opposition. And I just love a little bit of that. Yeah, he was proper old school, wasn't he, Michael Doyle? I did watch a few Cov games. He actually ended his career, I think, at Notts County as well, which is a club that I've sort of followed over the years. But yeah, definitely that real sort of play you don't really want to play against because he's going to be in your face he loves the sliding tackle almost a bit like Robbie Savage as well just sort of if he's on your team you absolutely love him if he's not on your team you can't stand the guy because you just know that he's going to be giving you a hard Davis. time for the whole it's game bad delivery underneath uh, the goal wow. it's hit on the volley by oh, Michael goal. Doyle has hit a volley oh, from all of 35 yards and that is something quite incredible from the Pompey captain is the best thing I've seen all season. But just coming back to Dennis Burkamp, I think what you said about making the game effortless, that was a really good way of describing him because that's how I sort of saw it. He just looked like he'd wrapped up down his local park, put on his football boots and just did his stuff. Like he came on just for 20 minutes when I saw him play against uh, West Bromwich Albion. But he just looked head and shoulders above everybody else, knew exactly where everyone was on the pitch. His first touch was always fantastic. And he just, like I said, his awareness was brilliant. His son has recently signed for someone, I can't remember who off the top of my head, but for someone in the championship, I want to say Watford. So it'd be interesting to see how yes. he plays. Yeah, now I did see that. And also I saw that it made me feel really old. I saw that Sean Wright Phillips' son has also signed for a championship club. Happened on the same day. Yes, he's replacing Tomint. So wherever Tomint's was is where Sean Wright Phillips' son has just signed for. But yeah, that made me feel so old when I saw that Sean Wright Phillips' kid was playing, <laughs> playing football, which is obviously Ian Wright's grandkid. Absolute uh, mental, that is. But it's just really interesting to see, you know, are these players going to be anywhere near as good as their dad? The easy one for me is to compare Casper Schmeichel to Peter Schmeichel. Now, Casper absolutely hates it when people mention his dad because he sees himself as a goalkeeper in his own right, which is absolutely fine. But you can't help but think when you see Casper Schmeichel make a save where he just absolutely makes himself look massive and it just closes the space on a striker, it just makes you think of his, oh my days, that is just like what his dad did when he was playing for Manchester United. Interesting to see if uh, Burkamp's son's got the skills of his dad. Schmeichel's up, he's on his way. Scored in a European tie against Volgograd, and they need one from him or anyone now. Hallister up and Schmeichel's there! 
But um, I did some uh, some commentating at Notts County, uh, 2009-10 season, and it's just been taken over by a consortium that basically didn't exist, basically giving like uh, a load of money. And it was almost like a fraud. But Ben Gore and Ericsson, <laughs> literally, like they were linked with so many ridiculous players. I, I don't know if you remember, but Sol Campbell played one game for them. But my point was that season, actually, Kasper Schmeichel was their goalkeeper. And he was quite young there. And he'd been on loan before that to actually Coventry. And I think Cardiff from Manchester City. But Notts County was the real first club where he was first choice goalkeeper. And it was League Two. And I think that season, Notts County faced, I want to say, I was six penalties at home. And he saved four of them. Even when, you know, looking at a keeper at that age, you're thinking, my gosh, he's going to he's gonna make it like big time. You're thinking, am, am I just saying that because of, of his dad? I think being a child of a footballer is either, you know, proper help or a hindrance because Tom Ince never really lived up to what people thought he would be, did they? But then you look at Erling Haaland, who's already surpassed anything his dad ever did. That's true. And, and obviously, it's interesting to see, obviously, how different they are because obviously, our Alfinger Haaland that played for Nottingham Forest and Leeds, he was a quite conservative sort of and combative midfielder where obviously the, his son's an, an out-and-out striker who scores obviously a lot of goals. This season, we've already said about it being a bit bit crazy. Do you, do you see uh, anybody stopping Manchester City at the moment to win the Premier League title? I think if you'd asked me prior to Man United playing Liverpool and Arsenal, I might have put them as a dark horse. But I think after those two games... They have to win them, don't they? If you want to win the league, you have to be able to beat a Liverpool side that doesn't have two centre-backs and an Arsenal team that's not really firing on all cylinders yet. So I think it's, it's between Man City and Liverpool, isn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. Obviously, they play each other at the weekend, which is a game that I'm really looking forward to, but I just hope it's not all hyped up and then it's a bit of a damp squib, which has happened quite a few times, actually, this season. I remember Man United-Chelsea finishing 0-0 and everyone thought that was going to be good. The recent one between, obviously, Liverpool and United that you mentioned and Arsenal and United. But I can't help but feel that that game on Sunday's got a lot of goals in it. Probably just cursed the game now and it's going to finish <laughs> nil-nil. But <laughs> for me, I feel like Manchester City made quite a slow start to the season. There was a lot of criticism aimed at them. Players were out injured. And it sort of helped. And it sort of helped in the long run because it's taken the focus off them and sort of onto this crazy sort of title race that actually I don't think will happen. So obviously, even teams like Leicester and and Everton were sort of like flirting around the top four. Even Spurs were top for barely a week as well. But as that was all happening, I felt like Man City have just been going around, getting on with things. They barely look like conceding. Another clean sheet tonight and a win over Burnley. So it's hard to see anyone actually stopping them. And bearing in mind, Man City at the moment, they haven't got Kevin De Bruyne. Sergio Aguero's barely played all season. So when you put that into a bit of perspective as well, I know Liverpool fans will probably say, well, we haven't had a back four this season in terms of, I know they've had a lot of injuries in terms of centre-halves. But for me, the strength and depth of Manchester City's squad is just ridiculous. I think Liverpool's squad is still very strong and I think they emphasise a lot on academy players, which is really good and fair play to them. But I just look at the replacements that City bring in when a player gets injured and I think it's head and shoulders above anybody else. And for that, I think City will win the league this season. 
There'll be like new signings when they come back. De Bruyne and Aguero. Man City might not have got anyone big in January. In fact, I don't really think they've signed anyone in January. But when those two no. players come back, there'll be a different team. It's just whether for Liverpool, Ben Davis and the Schalke centre-back, whether they can make that work. Yes, it's obviously a lot to ask a player to step up from the championship and then play for a side that's going for a title. But obviously, Andrew Robertson's a good example of you can make that step up. Um, obviously, he came from Hull City when the Hull were relegated, right? So I didn't have that much expectation of him. And then you look where he's at now. In terms of those signings, I think they needed a centre-back. I don't necessarily feel like they were the players they may have been looking for. But then again, if you look at the transfer window as a whole, it's been difficult for everybody. Obviously, the pandemic has caused spending just to plummet. And it's clubs that don't want to let players go out on loan because there's so many games in such tight amount of space that you need to utilise your squad more than ever. Like I, I, I read the other day that in February, I think Leicester will play eight games like in February. And one of those, uh, sorry, two of those will be in Europa League. But even if you're not in any competition, even if you're in the Premier League, you'll still play, I think, about six games, which is quite a lot, really, when... When you think about it, so yeah. making a champion though, if you can, you know, ride those really intense kind of fixture congestion and come out scraping one nil wins, then that's what you'll back on at the end of the season and be, oh, that's why Man City won, that's why Liverpool won it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the good thing is though, if you do lose a game, the quickest thing you want to do is bounce back. Like we lost to Leeds at the weekend, and I was sort of a little bit annoyed about it. Thought that Leeds were better than us. Thought we could have played a lot better. But we've had, you know, just three days to get another game and then we've bounced back straight away and, and obviously got another big three points, um, albeit against the Fulham team that are struggling at the bottom. But they were also a team that beat us early on in the season. So very happy to uh, to get the three points in that one. But yeah, I just feel like Man City are going to win the league this season. I've just thrown it out there and I can hear, I can hear people screaming at me now saying it's not going to happen, but City for me are the favourites. Thank you very much, Ben, for joining us this week. So before Ben was on air, I gave you a teaser. And that was to say which two English professional clubs share the same ground name and who are they? The ground name is St. James's Park and the two teams are Exeter City and Newcastle United. Well done to everybody that got that question right. Just to remind you then, next week's episode, I'll be joined by the chairman of the league, who is Joe Grayson, and also the manager of Mosaic. If you do have any questions for Joe Grayson, then please drop me a WhatsApp message. And all it leaves me to say is thanks for listening, guys. Enjoy your football. Stay safe and stay inside. Goodbye.